Let us pray, and this is a prayer attributed to St. Augustine. Lord, you are the light of the minds who know you, the life of the souls who love you, the strength of the souls who serve you. Help us to know you that we may truly love you, so to love you that we may fully serve you, whose service is perfect freedom, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. This Sunday falls smack in the middle of two federal holidays, Juneteenth last week and the 4th of July next, each with a focus on freedom. Last week, Juneteenth marked the good news of emancipation, finally reaching everybody in our country. The 4th of July celebrates independence, a national holiday, and it's also a feast of the church, which we'll observe next Sunday. Sandwiched between those celebrations, here we are in the wake of a week, which may now be a historical milestone itself. Given the Supreme Court decision that rocked many as others celebrated, challenging all of us to think about what it means to let freedom reign. Now on this day, by holy coincidence, maybe there is no such thing as holy coincidence, we hear free about freedom from St. Paul who writes to Galatian Christians. Now in this letter, Paul is at his crankiest, which is saying something. <laughs> he is really mad at this community. Having embraced the gospel of God's grace initially, love freely given, they have decided to take a step backward and put tough restrictions on who is free to be part of the community. I know it's hard to imagine religious people doing something like that, but stick with me. In today's reading, Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Elsewhere, he says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. So think with me about what we mean by freedom as followers of Jesus, especially in these extraordinary times. We can start by thinking about what freedom does not mean in the context of our faith. It's not a matter of license, doing whatever we please without thought of others. We are not free to run red lights. Freedom is actually not the same in my mind as independence. While the word, word freedom appears all over scripture, the word independence never shows up. Next week, we gladly, gratefully celebrate national self-determination, but that doesn't mean followers of Jesus live in the world as free agents. Paul says, love this, Paul says, you were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as opportunity for self-indulgence. Through love, become slaves to one another. The myth of rugged individualism aside, we are interdependent, dependent on God in the spirit of the beatitude which has been translated, blessed are those who know their need of God, and dependent on each other. As Martin Luther King wrote, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are tied in a single garment of destiny. He said, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly in the Christian community. Therefore, while we celebrate remarkable individual gifts, 
They only have meaning as part of the body of Christ. Basically, we're in this together. The one other thing I'd say about freedom is that it often gets worked out right where we are in the mess of life. And would you agree we are in a bit of a mess? Howard Thurman said that often, that often being free means to be where we are, not to be relieved of chores or responsibilities, not to be on the open road with nothing overhead but blue sky. Often it means the ability to deal with the realities of one's situation so as not to be overcome by them. In that process, he says, the glory of the living God will envelop our surroundings. I don't know about you, I am quite ready for the glory of the living God to envelop our surroundings. Jesus talked all the time about freedom. He told people who believed in him that if they would continue in his word, they would know the truth and the truth would make them free. They wonder what he's talking about. He goes on to say that if the Son will make you free, you will be free indeed. As Jesus spoke about freedom, he was also clear that freedom came with cost. He called it the cost of discipleship. In today's gospel, we read about folks who were called by Jesus but didn't feel free to follow him. They are constrained by other commitments. Good things, but not the main thing. Unable to follow their hearts, unable to take the leap, unable to risk his way of love. Struck me how different their experience is from those first disciples who were fishermen. You know, Jesus comes along, walks down the road, says, follow me. They drop their nets. They don't ask for references. They don't do a strategic plan. They don't, uh, you know, check, check with their therapist or with their financial advisor. They just follow. Jesus sounds harsh to me in today's passage, but he asks those with ears to hear, are you free to follow me? Can you answer my call? And I wonder, how does that question sound to you this morning? What does following Jesus look like in light of the news of the day, in light of the news of this week? It goes without saying that around our nation, there are wildly different reactions to Friday's news, most quite passionate. I suspect a diversity of opinion exists in this congregation. Mark Twain once described this pulp, uh, pulpit, this piece of furniture in which I stand, as a piece of furniture that exists six feet above contradiction. That's a way of saying this is probably not the best forum for a debate on reproductive rights. There are heartfelt passions on both sides. There is indifference, cruelty, and violence that have too often marked the debate, maybe resonant of those disciples who wanted to have fire and brimstone come down on that town that didn't like Jesus. There are stories of pain and fear. And I've been a priest long enough in a variety of settings to have to walk with people through that pain and through that fear and through that uncertainty Actually, coincidentally, ironically, sadly, I got a phone call just last Thursday, four days ago. It was really early in the morning, and the caller let me know that a young pregnant woman I knew 
had been taken to the emergency room. I was told on the phone call that her life and the life of her baby, the life and the life of her baby were at risk. So, you know, I was in my gym clothes and I slapped on a collar and I grabbed my prayer book, glad we have a prayer book, and drove to the hospital about 20 minutes. When I got there, it looked like things had stabilized, thanks be to God. Um, looks like the mother and child are going to be fine. But on the way, not knowing what I was stepping into, I actually anxiously wondered, what will this conversation be like? I wondered whether I could contribute anything that would be helpful. I wondered how decisions about the health of this mother and this child would be made. I wondered who would be in the room. I was pretty sure that it didn't include Supreme Court justices or state legislatures or representatives in Congress that should be in that room. And as I struggled with what I would say, sometimes I think you all think we all know what to do. <laughs> There's so many times in our life as clergy that we don't know what the words are, but I was so gratified later on Friday to hear a press release from our presiding bishop, who gave me words that I didn't have. So here's a bit of what he said to our, to our community. He wrote, I have been ordained more than 40 years. I have served as a pastor in poor communities. I have witnessed firsthand the negative impact this decision will have. We as a church have tried carefully to be responsive both to the moral value of women having the right to determine their healthcare choices as well as, the moral, as well as the moral value of all life. Today's decision institutionalizes inequality because women with access to resources will be able to exercise their moral judgment in ways that women without the same resources will not. As a church, we stand with those who will feel the effects of this decision in the weeks, months, and years to come. He goes on to talk about resolutions the church has passed about equitable health care and legislation. Then he says, we pray for those who may be harmed by this decision, especially those who need these services. We pray for the poor and vulnerable who may not have other options for access. We urge you to make your voice heard. We urge you to make your voice heard in the way you feel called and to do so peacefully with respect and love of neighbor. So how is it that we can move forward in the distinctive freedom that marks a follower of Jesus? Freedom guided by the love of neighbor. It means seeing that freedom in Christ differs from license or rugged individualism or escape or retreat to our bubbles. It claims our inner as St. Augustine said, we follow Jesus in whose service is perfect freedom. Maybe the real question for this unusual moment, will we embrace that counterintuitive wisdom and follow Jesus? What will that look like in the wake of this week's news, a new and difficult chapter for so many in our nation? The text of the old spiritual says, if ever we needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. 
Today's news tells us the same. This week, we finished here at St. James a round of Sacred Ground. It's a course that discusses the historical and contemporary brokenness of our race relations. In the last session, we read from Howard Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. It was written in 1949, but it could have been written yesterday. He talks about how those who are oppressed and the oppressors often respond with hate, deception, or fear. Imprisoned, not free, imprisoned by those ways of being. Does that sound familiar? He says the alternative is the way of Jesus, the way of love. In this moment, we're called to follow that liberating way, to follow Jesus who not only teaches love, but stretches out arms of love on the hardwood of the cross to draw us into his saving embrace, to give us the power we may not have in ourselves, the power to walk in the way of love. So the question is, will we walk in that way? It's so good that we are together this morning not only to wish Godspeed to St. James, but also to consider how we walk in the way of love right now. I sometimes think of Sunday worship as a weekly chance to commit to that way, to say, yes, I want to walk as a child of the light. I want to follow Jesus. And thinking about that reminded me of an elderly parishioner in my church in Durham, North Carolina. She was a brilliant writer who grew up in the mountains of Virginia. So she had this incredibly lovely Southern accent. Each week as she came forward to receive bread and wine, I would say the body of Christ. She would not say amen. Instead, with both hands extended, she would say yes except with her accent, it was about seven syllables. <laughs> it was yes. And I remember that, and I hold on to that in a world where too many people are hearing no, where anger and grief and indifference imprison too many hearts. May we find the grace, the freedom to say yes to following Jesus in whose service is perfect freedom, freedom that cares for all of God's children. It's worth following, for it is the way of love, it is the way of life, as such it is the way of freedom. Amen.